Self-publishing a book can be extremely exciting for aspiring authors, but few take the time to think through all the legal issues around doing so. I'm Prakash Chandran, and in this episode, we'll be talking about the legal responsibilities you need to be aware of when publishing your work to the masses. Here with us to discuss is Stephen Barron, a partner at Mandel Mankus, who specializes in intellectual property and media law. It's a pleasure to have you, Steve. So this is extremely timely for me because I have a friend that's going through the publishing process right now, and I'd love to start by just reviewing the basics. So what are the legal issues that book publishers encounter? Sure, Prakash. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me, and uh, it's nice to have a chance to share what I can with you uh, to help you and maybe others. Uh, the legal issues that emerge in, in uh, publishing uh, fall along a few different lines. One is how to protect the work that you're writing, the original work that you're writing. You want to make sure that when you're done creating that nobody else can steal it and use it for themselves. So that's one issue. And the flip side of that is how can I use other people's work and what do I need to do to be able to ensure that I'm not going to get in legal trouble if I do that, right? So it's um, recognizing when you need to get permission, when you don't need to get permission, and how you get permission in order to use somebody else's work. So those are two uh, sides of kind of the same coin, protecting your own stuff and getting permission for other people's. And no. that's, that's a big piece of it. When you say getting permission uh, from others, is that when you quote them? Is that lyrics to a song? What does that exactly mean? Right. So uh, it, it can take a lot of different forms. And you, you gave a couple of good examples. Oftentimes, uh, particularly if you're writing, a, you know, a novel or you're writing a non-fictional work, a particularly non-fictional work, you may be citing other sources. And you don't necessarily have to get permissions if you're writing an academic work and you're, you know, quoting a, a paragraph in somebody's 500-page manual about President John Adams. However, if you're going to be borrowing substantial pieces of somebody's work, uh, you may be dabbling then into the possibility that you're infringing on their copyright. So it would be a situation like that where you would have to get permission. And the line between when you can use something fairly or what we call fair use in copyright law and when you need permission is not very clear. And that's where lawyers can come in and help assess the risk and whether or not you actually need to get permission. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that totally makes sense. I'm trying to figure out what the best thing to do for my friend is. Do they go to a lawyer like yourself to review everything afterwards that might be potentially conflicting? Yes. What happens is uh, I engage at a point when the manuscript is largely done or mostly done, and I'll do what we call pre-publication review, which means just reading uh, the book or the, the work from cover to cover. And I'm not reading it because I'm going to give editorial comments or because I'm going to tell the writer it's good or bad or exciting or not exciting. I'm reading it solely from the standpoint of a lawyer and trying to determine what the legal risks are. And so I'll go through, and if I see things in that pre-publication review process where I feel like, all right, this is something where I think, you know, we need to get permission. I will flag that and then we'll have a discussion after I'm done with my review. I see. So I'm curious, you know, you talked about the two uh, sections being number one, protecting the work and number two, getting permission to use something. But I want to know about the most common situations that you see authors getting into legal hot water over. Sure. Well, <clears throat> it depends a little bit on the nature of the work, but I'll tell you um, one of the other things that we haven't touched on yet is if you decide to write the great memoir of your life, 
or you're going to write a memoir of somebody else's life, uh, you're obviously going to be delving into personal things, and you're going to be characterizing situations that emerge during the course of your life or the subject matter's life. And that oftentimes triggers potential claims, and not for intellectual property issues like copyright that we just talked about, but actually claims for invasion of privacy or defamation. Invasion of privacy, as the name implies, is, you know, you are, you are spilling the beans about something that is otherwise private, and, uh, and a typical reader or person out there would view, view that as highly offensive if it happened to them. And so we're looking for claims like, you know, privacy. On the defamation side, that's a claim where you're impugning somebody's integrity or their character by saying something that's false about them. <laughs> and so I'm looking at a work and I'm trying to figure out if there are any claims uh, that might arise involving defamation or privacy. And those are very typical claims that happen in those sort of tell-all books. I've, I've read books by ex-spouses about their marriages. I read books about, um, you know, people whose uh, spouses are going through uh, sex change operations. I read books about people whose uh, spouses were uh, alcoholics. And so there's all kinds of issues that emerge when you want to tell that story. It's your life story, but it involves uh, revealing certain information about somebody that they may not want revealed. And that triggers potential legal risk. Right. I think the craziest thing about this is that when someone is writing the book or the great memoir about their lives, as you mentioned, they're probably not even thinking about any of this. They're just saying, well, this is my story. And because it's my story, I can publish it out there to the world. Um, but it is something that is very important because it can get them into trouble. Absolutely. Our stories are, as you say, our stories and, and we own them. You know, they're ours. But our stories are interconnected. Our lives are interwoven with the lives of other people. And so the minute we start telling stories that, that connect other people's lives and other people's foibles, that's where we have to worry a little bit, at least, about legal risk. And as you say, not everybody thinks about this when they're writing a book. And that's why it's good to come and bring it uh, to a lawyer to have a lawyer look it over and, uh, you know, raise some yellow or red flags, as the case may be, uh, to, to point out things that might pose risk. So I want to shift uh, to the different types of publishing. You know, self-publishing is becoming so popular these days, and I know that is the route that my friend is taking. So I'm curious as to what uh, types of things do authors need to be aware of when they use a publishing company versus self-publishing? Yeah, a great question. And let's maybe just for definitional purposes um, describe what, we're, what we mean by publishing through a publisher versus self-publishing, although the name probably implies it fairly fairly readily, but just so people know, uh, typical or traditional publishing uh, requires that you engage with a publishing house, uh, a company that's in the business of taking a manuscript, having professional editors look it over and edit it, tighten it up, and then ultimately uh, publish it and, and uh, market it and distribute it for sale. So those are the Random House, HarperCollins, Penguin, all the, you know, the, the well-known publishers that people know about. And, of course, there are many smaller publishing houses as well. And that's traditional publishing. Uh, you usually sign an in-depth contract with a publisher, and you give certain rights to the publisher, and you get royalties as an author. They, they give you a cut of what they collect over time. In self-publishing, uh, you basically cut out the publishing house, although there are now companies that will take just about any work you want to write and create a book out of it. So they do the actual assembly of the book, 
whether it's hardbound, whether it is um, paperback or an ebook, and they'll basically print it for you. And uh, self-publishing companies offer a, a smorgasbord of different kinds of services. Some of them actually will provide editors for you, but many of them will just simply put the book together for you. And your job as the author is then to take that book and go out and try to market it on your own, get it up on Amazon and other um, and other internet-based sales platforms, uh, go out and try to get readings. You know, the, the, the marketing is really all on you. And so that's publishing through a traditional publisher versus publishing through a self-publisher, just to make sure everybody knows what we're talking about. Um, the issues that emerge in the, the self-publishing world, I mean, look, there's a practical reality here, which is that you may think you have the great American novel and you uh, can't find a publisher. And so you're going to go and, and contract with a company that's going to print up your great American novel and you get 500 copies of it. And there they are sitting in your garage. The challenge for you, just from a practical, not a legal standpoint, is how to make noise with that, right? It's the old adage of a tree falling in the woods and nobody hearing it. It's very hard in a world that is a chalk filled with content and chalk filled with, with good writing to get your book noticed. So the challenge, I think, from a practical standpoint as a self-publisher is really just how can I really get this book out there? You know, how can I market this book and how can I get noticed in a world where there's so much to, to be noticed? Uh, so that's a big challenge. Um, the other thing that you want to you know think about as a from a legal standpoint is when I am signing up with uh, you know a self publisher is uh, what am I buying here? Uh, what services am, am I going to get for the money that I'm paying? Who's going to own? Uh, is there any claim of rights over the ownership of my work that I should be aware of? Obviously, I want to maintain the copyright in that. I don't want to unwittingly turn it over to a self publishing house. Um, if we go out of print, am I going to get anything back from the self-publisher? You know, the, um, uh, the, uh, uh, basically the, the computer file that I will need to go to any other publisher I want to go to. Things of that nature, I think, are important that a lot of people don't think about when they're entering into a self-publishing contract. And then also you want to think about if you're writing a book that's going to require illustrations. Uh, you know, you may have an illustrator yourself. You may be an illustrator but if you're not, then you're going to have to get one. The self-publisher may get an illustrator for you. And if that's the case, what happens if you decide to go to another publisher? Who's going to have the rights over the illustrations? So those are some sample things that emerge from a legal standpoint uh, that people don't always think about when they're entering into self-publishing contracts with companies that will just print up their books. Yeah, I'm assuming they just assume that everything is handled for them. And that's what you're saying. You know, when you go to through something like a publishing house, they probably have teams that look at all of those things and self publishers. Uh, you know, you kind of assume a lot of the responsibility. But what I'm hearing from you is that in both cases, it's a really good idea to review the contractual agreements uh, between either the self publisher or the publishing house to make sure um, that everything is in, is in place, the copyright, uh, I guess, protections are there for you as the author. Isn't that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, a lot of writers are so thrilled that they're done writing. Uh, it's been a laborious <laughs> process for them that uh, they think this sort of work is done at that point. And in fact, sometimes the work is just beginning. And that's why you want to think about these business and practical and legal issues that emerge, you know, once you have this, uh, as I put it, the great American novel ready to go. 
So you've mentioned copyright a couple times, and I want to back up a little bit and talk about copyright specifically. So what can you tell a layman about what copyright means in terms of the uh, content that they've written? Sure. Copyright is uh, actually a concept that's embedded in our U.S. Constitution and also in federal law, and it's a, a way of protecting an original work of authorship. And you know, it's not just written works. It can be artistic works. It can be films and photography. Anything that can be f what uh, the law says is fixed in a tangible medium of expression. So the minute it's fixed, the minute you put pen to paper or fingers to keyboard and you write those words, you have uh, created something that is uh, copyrighted the moment it is fixed in a tangible medium. Okay. And once you own the copyright, you own a bundle of rights. Those are rights to reproduce it, to distribute it, to publicly perform it, uh, to make what are called derivative works from it. So if you wrote a novel that was going to be made into a movie, that would be a derivative work. And you as the copyright owner of the novel have a right to say whether and who gets to make a movie out of it. So it's that bundle of rights that's very powerful that you own in that original work that you created. Okay. Now there are ways in which you can enhance and further protect your rights in a copyright. And the most important of those is through registration. Uh, the United States government has a copyright office that allows you to file an application to register a copyright. And uh, it's relatively easy and relatively inexpensive to do that. And once you do that, you've put the world on notice that this is your copyrighted work. And it also gives you entitlement to file a lawsuit if somebody's infringing your work. And it also entitles you to certain kinds of damages and money what are called statutory damages if somebody infringes your work. So registration is an important thing, and that's another thing that lawyers can help authors with, which is the registration process. Uh, filing an application to register a manuscript is, uh, as I say, relatively easy, um, but uh, you know, lay people don't always know how to do that. Yeah, that's really good to know. So what you're saying is that implicitly when I create something, when I put the pen to paper, I'm, I'm creating a copyright there. But the most important thing that I think every author should be aware of is going through that registration process and doing so with a lawyer uh, just to make sure that they've covered all their bases. Um, so I, I want to cover one more thing. So let's say they've done all of that, but it, it almost feels uh, impossible to cover all the basis of publishing a work. So is there any sort of insurance that an author can procure in order to further protect themselves? Yes, absolutely. Um, there is specialized insurance coverage. Uh, we call it media perils coverage, but essentially it's an insurance policy that helps to cover publishers uh, for the works that they publish, whether they're written or film or anything else. And what that protects you from are the kinds of claims that emerge after you've published. So we, and we've talked about some of those today, uh, copyright infringement, maybe one of them, uh, defamation. If somebody feels their reputation has been harmed by what you wrote or an invasion of privacy, those are all the kinds of claims that are covered by in media insurance. And, um, authors can get media insurance relatively easily. It's not a whole lot more than, uh, you know, a, a car insurance premium. And it gives you a certain peace of mind because I know from being a lawyer and being involved in lawsuits over matters that have been published that it can get very expensive and these lawsuits can drag on for years and, and cost many hundreds of thousands of dollars just to defend them, right? That's just legal fees, let alone the risk and the potential damages if somebody wins a lawsuit. So having um, 
insurance, I think, is a really good idea, particularly for authors that have written something that, you know, may be more inclined to trigger a claim, either because there's a copyright issue or there's a defamation or privacy issue. And one other uh, uh, place for authors to look here is uh, on the insurance side is the Authors Guild, which is a national organization that promotes the rights of authors. And the Authors Guild, if you join the Authors Guild, they have a relationship with a particular media insurance company, and they will be able to point you in a good direction to help you procure a policy at a relatively reasonable rate. So I always recommend to authors to join the Authors Guild and um, and get that perk of the ability to get insurance at a, a reduced rate. Yeah, that's good advice. So I'm curious, what if someone is listening to this, an author who's already published a book and is saying to themselves, oh my gosh, I didn't think about any of this. My book is out there in the world and there's potential copyright infringement. There's all sorts of stuff uh, that could potentially harm me in the future. What would you recommend to them? Um, move to another country. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just being facetious. Uh, I, I think that, um, well, a couple of things. One is if they published the book through a publisher, it's quite likely that the publishing house has its own insurance to cover those kinds of risks. So, so even if they didn't get their own, there's probably a policy out there. If they self-published and they did that without, um, any sort of insurance, there is the possibility that they could go to a carrier after publication and, um, and get, uh, underwritten for a claim or potential claims. It's possible if they do that, that the carrier, the insurance company would say, well, you know, we'll protect you going forward. But if a claim emerges or, or has already emerged, sort of like a pre-existing condition, if you will, in the healthcare field, uh, you know, we're not going to cover that, but, you know, we may be able to cover you prospectively going forward. Um, so all is not lost. Uh, they may be able to procure coverage even on something that's already been published. So, Steve, when do you normally like authors to engage with you? It sounds like uh, there's a lot of services and things that you can offer to protect these authors throughout the whole life cycle. But when do you specifically want them to start talking to you? Yeah, so I usually say um, uh, I want to get the manuscript when it's you know close to being done, uh, and then I'll engage in you know the fulsome pre-publication review. But even before that, if an author is working on a manuscript and has questions along the way particularly about using other people's work. You know, do I need to get permission? Can I just use this and call it a, a fair use under copyright law? Uh, I'm always happy along the writing process to weigh in and to give advice on sort of a situation by situation basis so that the writer doesn't wind up at the end of, you know, a two-year writing process with um, 75 pages worth of material they got to cut out because, you know, they can't get permission. So I guess to, the short answer to your question is, uh, I'm happy to engage you know, at the beginning of the writing process to talk through the intellectual property issues, or I'm happy to engage at the end of the writing process for a fulsome review. And it really depends a little bit on what the needs of the author are and the type of work they're, they're working on. Yeah, and I think it is really helpful if you take all of the time to create uh, a work and you're expressing yourself, it really does make sense to get protected and to seek legal advice. Uh, to make sure that you don't run into uh, any road bumps along the way of, or enjoying uh, the benefits of writing that book because it will take away from the fruits of your labor if doing so. And I'm sure you see that all the time, um, Steve. So is, is there any uh, final thoughts that you want to leave the audience with today? 
Well, uh, the one thing, you know, all the, all the legal talk can sometimes get in the way of creativity. And, and I'm a firm believer, having represented authors for many years now, that everybody has a story. And I encourage people to tell that story. I really do. I think it's an exciting thing. And all of the authors I've ever worked with, I think, feel um, good about producing something. And so the last thing I want this conversation to do is to somehow uh, inhibit people from writing. I think uh, writing is the great human uh, experience that we should all share. And my only point is that you know, don't forget about the lawyers at the end of this process, because the last thing you want to do is wind up uh, unwittingly getting yourself into legal hot water, having then told your great story. So uh, keep writing, everybody, but uh, don't forget about getting some legal advice when you're when you're done or throughout that process. Well, Steve, I think that's the perfect way to end. Uh, this has been extremely informative. And I want to tell everyone out there, for more information, just go ahead and visit MandelMenkis.com. That's M-A-N-D-E-L-L-M-E-N-K-E-S.com. And search for media and entertainment. My guest today has been Stephen Barron. I'm Prakash Chandran. Thank you so much for listening.